She is clothed with strength and dignity, and we believe that means leggings and a t-shirt, and she laughs without fear of the future. Our real mission is to reach out to you and say, hey mom, feeling overwhelmed, feeling under-equipped, I can be the fearless mom God has called me to be. I can do this. I'm victory-minded, but man, today I am in the pit. Somehow this too will be for my good and for His glory. So I'm gonna walk it. I'm not gonna try to get around it. I'm not gonna hide. I'm not gonna numb it. I'm just gonna walk it because He thinks I'm strong enough for this. Welcome to Fearless Mom. I'm Julia Fortman, and I'm here to kick off and introduce today's message. Julie is not here today. She and Mac and a bunch of the members of our Lake Hills Church team are attending the C3 conference in Dallas, which is a creative conference for pastors and um, churches to attend to get new ideas. So they're off learning to bring back new ideas to share with us. And today we have a special treat. You have heard so many stories about Julie's strong-willed blessing, Emily. And today we have an interview to share with you from three years ago where I had the opportunity to interview Julie and Emily. Um, they talk about things from discipline to faith to the parent-child relationship. Some of you may have been here for it when it was live on the stage. Some of you may have watched or listened online. But three years is a lot in parenting years. Your kids are in different stages now. You're in a different stage as a mom. And so I encourage you, even if you have heard it, first of all, you know how valuable everything is that they talk about. But listen with open ears because you're in a, a new stage, and I guarantee you that different things will stand out to you. It does run a tad long, longer than usual. So if you do need to get up quietly, feel free to take care of your own needs. Um, and other, otherwise, we'll get started. Thank you. Welcome to Fearless Mom. We are so excited to be in this series about discipline, and we've intentionally given it the title, It's Not That Complicated. I want to remind you that today's session is part of a series. Yes, last week we talked about strong-willed blessings, and today I have with us my strong-willed blessing and um, Julia Fortman, but I want to remind you what we said and why we call it a strong-willed blessing, because a strong-willed kid is just more, more intense, more determined, maybe a little more stubborn, maybe a little more passionate, and those are all wonderful characteristics. Actually, those are desirable characteristics, and our young strong-willed blessings will go far. We don't want to make them less determined. We don't want to, you know, have less passion. We just want to channel <clears throat> channel what is already there. We don't want to change them. We want to channel them. So let's get started and let us go ahead and welcome in our online audience. If you are listening or watching online, we're thrilled that you've joined us, particularly if you yourself feel like you have a strong-willed blessing. We hope that uh, you get some tools today to put into your tool belt. And remember, you may be watching by yourself, but you are not alone because we are cheering you on from Austin. Right, girls? We're cheering you on. You can do this. You got it. 
So, um, as I said, I have Emily with us. She is a senior at the College of Charleston. I told many stories last week about my strong-willed blessing, all of them true. She could verify. She really did have an imaginary husband at age three. Um, named Michael, and um, so we get to hear from her perspective today, and Julia will be the one asking us questions. Julia has a unique perspective on our relationship and on everything we've been talking about because she is, number one, an educator. She comes from the background of education, and then number two, she's known Emily for a very long time. So Julia, we'll go ahead and let you get started. Sure, thank you. Thank you so much for inviting me. It's really an honor to facilitate the conversation today. Um, I do have a unique perspective because I worked at the elementary school where Emily and Joseph went to kinder through fifth grade. And while I was there, I was a first grade teacher, a campus technology specialist, and then the assistant principal. And though I never had Emily in class, I did get to know her in my particular class, but I did get to know her when she was seven. So I've known them for, I guess, 15 years. And that's before I was married, before I was a mom. But Julie and Max stood out as parents among our um, school community, and Emily and Joseph stood out as students. And I remember little things that Julie would say that I even you know, made note of for when I was a future mom, like put your cereal on the bottom row of your pantry and your milk in the bottom shelf in the refrigerator so that when your children get up on Saturday morning, they don't have to wake you up for breakfast. <laughs> oh, just a helpful tip, yes. Yes, mm -hmm. yes. I'm glad that stuck yes. with you. Yes. But I'm not exaggerating when I tell you that I worked with the principal and the school counselors to design character ed programs to help more children be like Emily and Joseph. They stood out that much. And so I um, am just thrilled to be here and share with you some of the conversations that I've had with Julie and with Emily that um, as I've tried to dig deeper and see what is your secret? What did you do? How, did, how do we make more children like this? And as you know, Deanne Wilson shared a few weeks ago when she spoke, she'd much rather be behind the scenes. I would too. But I find so much value in what they have to share today that I'm willing to step out of my comfort zone and help facilitate that for you. And so um, Luke chapter two, or chapter 2, verse 40, it says that, And the child grew and became strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. And I think that it's our, our job as parents to help fill our children with wisdom. And through watching Mac and Julie through the years, I think they've done a great job of doing that. And so um, I'm just excited to get started today. And I wanna start with Emily because um, Julie has told us so many stories about Emily's strong will and her emotional expressions. But I can tell oh, you- That was so diplomatic. <laughs> Her emotional I like expression, I yes. like it. But I can tell you, we never saw that side of Emily at school. And I think that that is really fascinating. And I would like to start with you and, and ask you, Emily, um, how do you explain that? So, um, I think that while my mom got to see a lot of emotion um, my whole life, um, I we had this, it was just an understanding that was explicitly stated, so it became an understanding, um, that my emotions were always acceptable. My feelings were never wrong. But because of that, my behavior could not be dictated based on those feelings. So I you know, could be really upset, hypothetically speaking, and really dramatic about it, but I still had to respect the authority that were that was my teachers um, 
and I still had to fall in line. Granted, I would, you know, I made it work for me. I was helping the teachers. I thought I was a teacher, but um, I still had to fall in line. And I think that empowering um, aspect of no matter what's going on, no matter how I'm feeling, I can control my behavior. I think that is why I could go into school and even when I didn't understand, be okay or pretend I was okay. I mean, there was never a transition, like you have to stop playing with the center, you have to put this microphone down. We never saw that side of you. And I think um, we had a conversation about the freedom that you found in that now as an adult. Um, speak to that a little bit. Absolutely, so there is the side of, okay, in order to be a functioning human in society, you have to you know, control your emotions and behave according to, you know, the appropriate behavior, not necessarily how you're feeling. Um, but the flip side of that is really awesome because I don't feel trapped by my emotions. My emotions don't control me. And so while emotions are so awesome, and hello, hyper-emotional over here, they're awesome, um, it's pretty cool to know that I am in control of my behavior. And no matter what the circumstances are, no matter what I'm feeling based on those circumstances, I always feel like I can control my behavior. And that was because, you know, behavior was never excused based on emotion, which is why I was able to, you know, go in and behave appropriately at school most of the time. I thought that was really powerful that you found freedom that your emotions do not dictate your behavior. So Julie, speaking on that same, uh, the same thought, um, you know, we know that we can't give our children anything we don't have. And so that means that more often than not, you modeled uh, separating your emotions from your behavior. And uh, in the midst of an emotional outburst or psychological standoffs, that can be challenging. And so share with moms what your strategies were. How did you um, cool down before you addressed behavior? Yeah, because I, I found myself when Emily and her fabulous emotions were here, that drove my emotions here. And so I realized very quickly that I was not implementing any effective parenting strategies when my emotions were here. It's just a lot of yelling and um, that did not work. I, I literally remember screaming over the you know railing, the bus is here! You know, and that did not work, go figure. And um, also I think for me it was, um, I had to identify and this goes back to what we talked about earlier this year about our fears and, our, and how it's attached to our emotions. So when my emotions were here, if Emily was, let's say, hypothetically speaking, flailing on the floor in TJ Maxx because I grabbed her arm like this and she says, you're hurting me and flails all over, then um, I had to go, okay, why am I, I had to literally, it, we talk a lot about self-awareness. I had to say, okay, it's probably because I'm embarrassed right now. And I do not parent effectively when I'm driven by embarrassment. Or, nor do I parent effectively when I'm driven by fear. 
we say fear is the enemy of common sense, you know, and guilt is the enemy of forward progress. And that comes into play with parenting so big because let's say a tantrum would happen and then I would start, oh, it's really my fault. I didn't set her up well for this. So then I start feeling guilty about it. So sometimes it was embarrassment. Sometimes my emotions were guilt and sometimes it was fear. I'm going, oh, what is happening? And is this gonna be forever? You know, it does this, um, well, number one, will this tantrum end by, you know, the end, by bedtime, please? Or, um, but I think that I had to realize what my emotions were and then come down. <clears throat> and I definitely had to learn how to not mirror her emotion. So if she was here, I had to consciously decide, um, you know, the effects of my parenting matter more than the appearance of my parenting. So therefore the embarrassment was out. I had to know God is standing in the gaps and so my fear was out and I had to say, you know, he's gonna use everything, therefore my guilt was out. And I had to force myself to have wisdom, discernment and common sense so that I could bring myself here. That required time, most often. So in a public place, I would, say, get in the car, you know, or I've told y'all last week, you know, or I will call security, um, or, you know, or I will put you in the car, but I had to really reflect and think, why am I here, and that does no good for me to be here, and I would have a period of separation. My initial response, I did it so wrong so many times. My initial response was, I have to address this immediately, and that wasn't true. I needed to come down so that I could address it logically and effectively. And so I would say evaluating my own emotions and why I was feeling that way and then forcing myself to come down and having time, you know, apart. And did you figure and this out? And a Snickers. <laughs> and a Snickers mm -hmm. while you were doing yes. this, for mm -hmm. sure. And for those of you who are here today, you may have found some Snickers on your chairs from Emily. A gift from Emily. <laughs> um, did you figure this out on your own or did you have... Uh, anyone that gave you advice to do that? You know, that is so interesting. Um, for a long time, um, I, I think there's something that I, I didn't wanna think I couldn't do it. So no, I didn't say anything to anybody else because I, did, I wanted to you know, feel like I could do it on my own. I was strong enough to do it. And um, so my mom helped me a lot. And um, my dad told me not to uh, try to negotiate with a two-year-old. Um, you know, we don't negotiate with terrorists or two-year-olds. Um, and so my dad would tell me that. But, but I also, I, uh, I don't know. I, I have friends who are in the same stages, but their kids weren't as intense. And they would say things like, you know, she'll cry herself to sleep three times. You'll be fine. And I'm like, we did it like every night for the last month. And then I start thinking, what's wrong with me, you know? And um, so yes and no, but uh, I really, it was a spiritual discipline for me. And I, I know I've told y'all this so many times, but Proverbs, wisdom, discernment, and common sense is all throughout Proverbs. And so I would have to just, it was almost like I could feel myself bringing myself down so that I could do it, you know? That's awesome. Um, so Emily, we have talked a lot at Fearless Mom about the importance of developing trust in a parent-child relationship. And you have said before that you didn't always agree with your parents, but you always knew that they had their, your best interests at mind, which means you trusted them. So can you speak to anything that they did, either intentionally or unintentionally, that helped you develop that trusting relationship? Absolutely. So first of all, intentionally, this is something that I have 
remembered and told them a lot, thank you, they would explicitly state that. They would explicitly state, hey, everything we're doing is not for us to look good. It's not because dad's a pastor. It's not because of this. It's not so that, you know, we can keep up with whatever. The reason we do everything we do is because this is how life works best. And so this is how life works best for you. And so they explicitly stated, hey, this is in your best interest. This is for you. We are working for you. Um, and so step one, explicitly stating, um, that's helpful. Um, but then also, I think, you know, to prove that and show that to me, um, trust was built over a long period of time. Um, but I remember, I mean, we talk about ridiculous things, but playing basketball as a family. First of all, mom had no rules. Um, she could travel, double dribble, I, Little foul. things like I didn't have to dribble. She would like wrap mm -hmm. around and us I could so that we couldn't score. She could do whatever she wanted. So. I mean, we had to make it fair. Yeah. I mean, understanding authority, sure, okay. Um, but then also, they never let us win. And so I think, you know, that trust, this sounds crazy, but that trust of like, okay, if I can trust you, if I win, I'm actually winning. I trust you because you're not even gonna lie to me about letting me win a basketball game. I mean, my dad was six one and I was like four foot two, so I wasn't gonna win. Um, but again, just that trust of like, you're not gonna let me win so I can trust you, I can trust the serious things. And so, I mean, and again, spending time together, um, trust, talking about, you know, explicitly stating, hey, I have to love you, you're my kid, but I like you too, and I like hanging out with you. Um, when you're 15 years old, it's really important to hear that. Um, I, that's very valuable, I'm gonna just, yeah. And we've talked about um, family nights, and you talked about, um, both of you have talked about, but I think it was Emily, you said that when a, a parents prioritize family night and set everything else aside, it tells the kids, I wanna be with you, and how powerful that can be. Um, for, you know, again, good. high school, whoo, it's awesome. Um, <laughs> but, you know, all the way through from, you know, when we were in elementary, preschool, elementary school, middle school, and high school. Um, I can genuinely say it was across the board. It was a constant, which I think is so valuable. Um, but, you know, my parents were intentional about spending time with us. Um, and again, making us feel like they liked us, not just loved us, but liked us too, um, which they don't have to do. So that's valuable and important. Um, but, you know, surprise surprise trips to Home Depot like like easy like you know that's them running errands but you know it, it became a family affair it was a surprise so it was really exciting um, you know I mean it's ridiculous but it's awesome oh my gosh I love that you remember that that's hysterical but and remember how we would go to Target and um, like it was so sad when both of y'all left for college um, because we always got popcorn and ice each, you know, for the children. And um, then I couldn't, it looked weird for me to get it by myself. I'm glad she recognized that. <laughs> that looked weird, but yeah. yeah. I'm oh, glad yeah. you remember so, the Home I mean, Depot. Little things that, you know, it was probably a little harder for them to take us to Home Depot, maybe. It may have added some time. Um, but again, just that 
being with each other, spending time with each other, and then, you know, you move to middle school and high school. It's tough. Um, and so just to know that you're liked by your parents and family night, um, no matter what the social schedule was, um, again, communicating that, like, hey, we're always here, we're the constant, um, and you can always, we'll always be here, and we're always going to make time for you, and so they're saying, hey, you're going to make time for us, ultimately communicated, we're always going to make time for you. I didn't always think that in the moment, so couldn't always necessarily <laughs> articulate that then, but now on this side of it, I was like, wow, that was their being there for me when they were asking me to show up, so. And Julie, I remember you asking a mom one time who I think had like six siblings, and they, in their family, they always had a weekly family night, and do you remember asking her, how did your parents do it? How did they do it? And do you remember what she said? I don't remember what she said. Oh. They just said we had to oh, be yeah. there. Oh, that is, um, uh, yes, this is a, um, a young mom now. She's a young mm -hmm. mom now. And she said, and, and she was very social, you know, through high school. And um, her parents, um, she was actually in the college ministry at our church. And her parents had said, you know, family night wasn't, it was just mandatory. And I said, how did they, you know, keep it during high school? She's like, what? we just did. They just said, we're going to do it. And I remember thinking, okay, I can do it. Well, ours became seven o'clock family breakfast, so that was a good one. Well, if your schedule does not work for evening, for meal time, then you do family breakfast. It was ultimately valuable, but I didn't, didn't love that. It, she was not always joyful at family breakfast, nor was she always awake, but she was at the table, at the table. I would be 100% right. asleep, like leaning against my chair. It was bad. But it was but great. But you were all together. But I was there. <laughs> we were all there. It was wonderful. Life-changing. Somebody asked me, like, oh, you did family breakfast? Like, you made, like, breakfast? I go, no, no. When I say family breakfast, I mean, we were all just sitting there. I showed up, made my own cereal. <laughs> Let me clarify. Yeah, yeah no. That she pulled her cereal off it. the bottom shelf. That's right. Mm -hmm. yeah. That's right. <laughs> yeah, it's good. Okay, Julie, you have stated before that I think it was one time when Emily was about You three. always make me nervous when you say you have said before because <laughs> you remember when I say a lot more than I do. Go ahead. You'll remember this. Okay. You've told it more than once. It was one time when Emily was about three and your mom witnessed an extended tantrum. And she said something along the lines of, I will not be visiting when she's a teenager. And I think as a mom, sometimes you can take statements like that and feel doomed. Like, especially this is my own mother saying this to me. But instead, you exhibited what Dr. Duckworth would uh, call grit. And you dug in your heels and you were determined not to let that happen. And so um, I'm interested in what you attribute to how, how do you keep a positive attitude and how do you find that energy to plug forward and what can moms learn from that? That was probably my mom, well, it wasn't the first tantrum of Emily's that she'd seen, but I was not there. So it was the first time it had happened, you know, with my not being there to, you know, reel her in. And so, um, you, do, do you remember this at all? You do? Uh, so my mom was staying in Austin and she was going to take Emily somewhere because I had people coming over for lunch and Emily did not think that was a good idea. And so she just, you know, began screaming, I'm not going, I'm not going, and screamed all the way down Lost Creek Boulevard. So mom 
pulled over at the park and said, Emily, I cannot keep driving. And you can't say that to Emily because she'll just keep screaming, you know. And so it went on for quite some time. I think my mom is still scarred. I may need to bring that up with her. But, um, but anyway, so, and she did. She said, Julie, I just do not think I'll come visit you when she's a teenager. And, um, and I, my mom is awesome. And uh, she, you know, she's a teacher too. And so um, I, I did feel like, oh, man, this, you know, that was not... That was not cheering me on, um, but but I don't remember really thinking that at the time. I think in my mind, um, and, and this is growing up the way I did. Um, parenting your children is your responsibility. Period. You you can't dictate what personality type your kid's going to have, what special need, what you know um, strengths or weaknesses. I mean, it was my responsibility. Whatever God chose the child to be like in my home, it's my job, and so I was responsible for bringing her up to create, you know, be obedient and respectful and to grow up to um, be an adult. And so in my head, it was my responsibility. But then Mac and I did student ministry for a long time. And um, we saw parents who enjoyed their students and parents who didn't. And we said way before we had children, we will enjoy the teenage years. And so when Mac and I, we're pretty stubborn. Yeah, go figure, we had strong-willed kids. But we determined we will enjoy the teenage years. We've seen it done. We know it can be done. And we will do it. And so um, it was just a determination. It was just a, um, a dig your heels in. This is my job, and I will not quit. I made many, 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 many mistakes. I did it very wrong often, and I apologize, Emily. Um, but look, you bounce back. Um, and, so, and so I'm not going to say that I did it all well, but I did it. I stayed in the game, and Max stayed in the game. And also, if you have a kid who is super intense, first of all, it's awesome. I'm not joking or trying to put a positive spin on it to say it's a blessing. That intensity, I told you, world changers are intense. People who do not settle for the status quo and who rise to the occasion, they are more determined. Those are SWBs, I guarantee you. Um, but I also made sure that I was around people, and I say this all the time in, all the time in Fearless Mom, um, you have to be around other generations and people with children of different ages because my, your tendency, my tendency was to compare my parenting to a parenting of a child the same age who was well-behaved and compliant and, um, you know, it was easy for them. But in, I had good friends who had children that were much younger, friends who didn't have children at all, and friends who had children that were much older. And so they didn't compare. They thought, Emily, I remember the... Um, I can't remember which tantrum, but I, I remember calling one of my good friends, and her children were much younger, and she just said, oh, man, what is God going to do with that? That is going to be, I cannot wait to see what God does with her, and see, there was no comparison. That was just, it was just the way it was, and so I think having friends with people of different age groups, and I also, I mean, kids of different ages, and then I think, um, I think understanding that it's your responsibility and, and keeping your perspective of this is my job and I can do it. And laughter. I mean, you have got to figure out how to work in laughter. And, and you've got to figure out how to laugh at the tantrum. You've got to figure out, you know, wow, I mean, what is happening here? I'm in the middle of the Chick-fil-A parking lot and I can't do anything about it. And you, you have to choose 
choose laughter. But like I said, I didn't always do it well. I, I, just, I just didn't quit. I just didn't quit. I just said, oh, yes, you will have fun, you know. <laughs> so, you know, and it wasn't always fun, but the tantrums were not every day. I mean, I've told you probably 10 stories. I mean, think about it. That's not that many in a lifespan. And so, there, it, you know, you have to balance the um, tantrum with some super fun, easy days. Thank you. So, Emily, one of our most popular series that we've done in Fearless Mom through the years is Pirate Parenting. And if, you're, uh, if you weren't here the first year we did uh, Pirate Parenting or Fearless Mom, I mean, um, you can look online and that series is there or if you're watching online. So speaking to about pirate parenting, um, Julie teaches us to keep strong and say ARG, which stands for four key um, principles that Julie has found that kids need. And that's authority, which is a respect for authority, responsibility, gratitude, and honesty. So as you were growing up, which of those four principles would you say has been the most important in your life? And this is speaking from a strong will blessing in particular perspective. Yes, absolutely. So all four critical for everyone. Um, but I think particularly for the strong will blessings, authority has to be understood. Um, and I am speaking from someone who didn't always understand and it eventually got drilled into me. That's a delicate term, kind of, not really. Um, but drilled into me that, you know, authority has to be understood. And I think, like we talked about, um, my, my mom wasn't going anywhere. She was relentless. Um, and so, you know. Thanks. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, it's true. It's a compliment now. Um, but um, so it, uh, it was so, no, seriously. Um, but it was so critical for me who, as a strong-willed blessing, I wasn't mischievous, but I wanted my way, and no consequence wasn't worth it. That was a double negative, sorry. But any consequence was worth it. Um, and I had to learn that my life works better when I fall under authority, because um, in my world for a long time, I, I was the authority. Um, and so learning, you know, again, through the relentless <laughs> efforts of my mother, um, that, you know, falling under that and um, learning that she had a better perspective, um, you know, as a mother, as an adult, on the bigger picture um, than I could have. And so knowing, and again, that explicit statement of, hey, this is for you, to, for your life to work better. Um, authority is critical, and authority, being able to fall under authority is how your life works better. Um, and I mean, even ultimately, in your relationship with God, falling under authority. And so my being able to learn from my mom, both parents, my, but my mom, you know, to fall under authority is how your life works better. It wasn't a huge leap for me to know that to have a relationship with God that's best, I have to fall under that authority. So, and, and it's awesome. Strong will blessing. The, the strong will doesn't go away. Um, but again, like you said, um, channeling it uh, to be able to fall under that authority. And I'm going to keep saying it because as a strong will blessing, I had to hear it over and over and over again. So, Even today, absolutely. I loved that um, you've shared the story about uh, the moment that you kind of realized like, oh, 
this is why I should follow authority. Absolutely. I, yes, thank you. <laughs> um, I had this aha moment, which my mom probably wouldn't say was out of nowhere because she had been working on it for a long, long time. Um, but that aha moment that, oh, it's actually selfish for me to obey. It's selfish for me to work under authority because it's how my life works best. That's where I am successful. My life is much better if I'm not expending energy saying no. You know, like I can now focus energy on better things and more productive things. And my life works better when I can, you know, work with my mom and we can laugh together instead of just arguing all the time. Um, so once you find that, I was like, oh, this. But you were older because a lot of people, you may, be, you know, you may have a toddler. And I didn't say when Emily was a toddler, life works better for you. Your relationship with God will be better. I said, get in the car. And so I think that we, a lot of this, they, it was a result of many years of putting in the time. Because when um, we talk about disciplining a toddler and understanding authority, then it is simply this. Emily, put your shoes on. She doesn't do it. Emily, put your shoes on or you will and then give a consequence. It's that removing emotion, stating the desirable behavior, giving a negative consequence if it's not seen and then give a positive consequence if it is seen and then repeat, rinse and repeat over and over and over and over. It's just a lot of that. The explaining and the understanding of why comes later. You still teach authority before the child can articulate the word authority. You still teach, you obey period. And, and so the, the conversations came more, you know, I would say in the school age years, you know. It was many, many, many years of the traumatizing sentence. Emily, there is no sentence. I shake thinking about this. Emily, there is no sentence that I can say that will make you understand. Still heartbreaking to this day. Like, there is no sentence. No, like, she's just, for real. She's not exaggerating. No, I'm like, like, if I say that today, it, it is upsetting. No, to I'm her. like, just let me try. Give me a chance. She's like, Emily, there's no sentence that I can say that will make you understand my decision. <laughs> Still not okay. But that sentence was an understanding of authority. And again, way, way, way down the road. I was able to understand and figure out that that was because she had my best interest at heart. Um, but yeah, that was traumatizing and correct at the same time. I don't know if this, I could see that also being a little bit freeing though, for you to be so specific. There's no sentence that can come out of your mouth that will change my decision. And there's no way that I can make you understand. It was like, you don't need to fight this anymore. I could, I could see that. And again, ultimately our goal is for Emily to have a, a healthy relationship with her creator, with God. And so there are things in the Bible that I don't understand, but I have to obey. And so, and, and God is not gonna change his mind by my arguing with him. And he, you know, I'm not gonna change, you know what I'm saying? You're so, not gonna rewrite the Bible? So, well, I've tried to get him to. A couple of things really annoying but, and inconvenient. But, but it's, it doesn't work that way. And I needed her to understand that's ultimately what it's about. And so when I would say there's no sentence that's going to come out of my mouth that's going to make you understand, there's no sentence that's going to come out of your mouth that's going to make me change my mind, you're ultimately preparing them 
for submission to God's will, whether they understand or not. That's the ultimate goal. Because I definitely didn't understand. Did not. Did not. Did I wasn't not. like, oh, thank you. I'm so appreciative right now. Yeah, that, that did not happen. <laughs> there, there was usually, uh, I have to imitate you, sorry. But um, so I'm thinking of this one time. I won't tell the story, but you remember it, I promise. Um, and um, I had, I said, I'm going to change a rule in our house and I'm going to tell you in advance. I do remember exactly what she's <laughs> You're not going to like it and we're not going to discuss it, which, by the way, for an SWB is like, you know, just the sentence, I'm not discussing it, you know, sends her over the edge. And so I said, we're not discussing it, and I'm telling you that in advance. And so I stated the new rule, and she goes, can I just, nope. And then in, to my face, she was like this. Yes, ma'am. And then, quiet, and she got to the hallway. <laughs> yeah. You were like, I was older than I should have been for that to happen. <laughs> I was about to say, do you want me to tell them how old you were? <laughs> older than, yeah. Sure. Just old. I think you were like 17. No, <laughs> Maybe not. Maybe like 15. Okay, I acted like that was really dramatic. I was like 15. <laughs> and I'm having like flashbacks, feeling it all just as deeply today as I felt it when it happened, so... Me too. Just so you know, I have two strong-willed blessings of my own, and any time that I hear Julie telling these stories of public tantrums, I start sweating just listening to them, <laughs> thinking about it myself. Um, okay, so moving on, um, let's talk about personality types. So in our second year of Fearless Mom, we had a, a series called Healthy You, and within it, um, we did a personality study where we got to understand ourselves and understand others. And Emily, you have said that, that this study has been life-changing and it's really impacted um, you, yourself, and your relationships. Share with everyone about that. Okay, I'm gonna have to reel it in because I could go off for a really long time. Um, but personality types, understanding personality types has been mind-blowing and life-changing and my friends, I'm obsessed and I don't stop talking about it ever because I'm a strong-willed blessing. Um, but for me, it, first of all, for some people, you know, they were like, oh my gosh, I, I can, I do fit on paper. I am, you know, understood um, by these words. Um, but then for me, it helped me so much to interact with others. So yes, I got to understand my emotional needs, my perspective, um, the way I interpret what others say. Um, but even more importantly, I discovered how others interpret what I say and how others have different emotional needs um, than I have. And so, you know, even I am referring to personality types, which you can find at fearlessmom.com, um, I am very choleric. So I, first of all, always think I'm right, which I usually am, so hello. Um, but <laughs> that wasn't a joke. She really believes that. Well, the characteristic <laughs> in the book says, always thinks they are right. But then it follows it with, most of the time they are. So just take that with what you want. But um, I am cleric, and so I state everything as a statement, as a fact, whether I'm asking a question, asking for input, I, I just say it. Um, and not everyone does that, um, which I don't understand. But I learned that, and so I learned that like, 
okay, if I want input from someone who doesn't do the same thing, I have to explicitly ask, like, hey, that was my asking your opinion, or hey, what is your opinion on this? And so that was life-changing to know, and that's a very trivial example, but um, to know that conflict, I thrive on conflict, I'm cleric, I thrive on conflict, um, not everyone does. Some people are very unsettled. Like your brother. Oh my word. That was probably the most life-changing for my brother and me, um, to know that he does not thrive on conflict and um, he will say okay just for the conversation to be over. And I'm like, you don't mean that. Don't lie to me, you're not okay. But he just wanted it to be over so that he could be okay eventually. Um, and so I would, you know, beat it down and yell at him and because Again, it's just intense emotion for me. I'm just shouting. I don't, I'm not necessarily, this is not necessarily how mad I am at you. I just care a lot. And he's like, ah. Um, but yeah, so for us, that was huge, actually. Thank you. Um, he does not thrive on conflict. And so our conversations look very different now, for sure, which is great. Yeah. And poor Joe. Oh, my goodness. For so he's many fine. years. He's fine. And uh, you, do ha you two have both talked about having opposite personalities. And that has uh, benefits and it has drawbacks. So speak to that in the mother-daughter relationship, how being opposites played out for you. Absolutely. So first I will say um, the positive side of it is that <laughs> I really believe that my mom didn't understand me the perfect amount. Um, I think that, you know, her not understanding where I was coming from always made it easier for her to not excuse the behavior. Um, if she had understood where I was coming from, it probably would have been easier to say, like, oh, I get it. That's okay. But for her, she was like, what's going on? <laughs> Why is she feeling this about, you know? stuff? Well, when I would say stuff to you like, I'll tell you where it really surfaced. Like when, when we studied the personality types and everything and I realized how different we were um, and I would say things to Emily like, you better not be upset about that. Do not get upset about that. And that was the opposite of helpful um, because she was already upset. And as you said, we finally figured out that it took me many times of doing it wrong to say, to validate that I don't understand. I don't feel that deeply about many things. I feel deeply about a few things, and those few things I feel very deeply about, but I don't feel deeply about the weather. Or, you know, Emily feels deeply about everything, and so that's awesome. Again, I mean, that is a strength, but I didn't see it as such, and I didn't understand it. And so I would say things like, don't be upset about that, or seriously? Are you mad about that? Which, like, to be fair, it probably was, like, Irrational? Something, a little bit. Oh. <laughs> you, she went there. I thought you were looking for a word I was trying to help. Not that one. Okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, honestly, probably so. Um, I, again, strong will blessing, I feel deeply about today being Wednesday. Like, I care about it. I'm passionate about it. And that's, that's a little... When they changed the font on your iPhone. Oh, my word. Oh, my word. And oh my I didn't even notice. Which stresses me out a lot. Um, but again, you know, for my mom, I feel like she didn't understand me the perfect amount where, like, now I can function in society where not everyone understands where I'm coming from. 
think they're wrong, but um, but then also, <laughs> I'm not serious completely. Um, I'm probably more serious than I should be. But and then on the goods on the you know other side of things, um, it was interesting to be able to articulate it. I, I I'm not like scarred or traumatized from anything, but I'm always gonna care deeply. I'm even when I shouldn't, and so. Eventually we got there where I can care. That's fine for me to care as deeply as I do. And it's not an excuse for the behavior. Um, and you still have to eventually move past it. I was allowed to care as deeply as, and, but it's not a, it was never like a, hey, get over it, because that would not have been well received. But it is, you know, there is the reality that I do eventually have to move forward. I think it goes back to, I think studying the personalities goes, it go, goes full circle. It goes back to understanding, um, and my understanding, that she felt things so deeply. Um, and so understanding that any feeling is okay, any emotion is okay. And I've told y'all before, I think, um, where I learned that, that you want a home in which any emotion is okay to feel. It's when Emily was four and I took her to a counselor and I said, because she was having these really huge tantrums and then she'd be super awesome like right after it. So of course I thought she had hormone problems. And so I took her to a counselor and I literally said, you know, I described the tantrums and the um, intensity and I said, uh, you know, do you think maybe it could be hormones? And um, she was four. And the sweet counselor looked at me and she goes, well, I don't think it's her hormones, <laughs> but it could be yours. Yeah. I'm like, well, that was the opposite of helpful. We will not be coming back. But, but she gave us that direction of, you know, any emotion is okay to feel, but you give the boundaries within which and you teach how to express them, which goes back to what we've said about separating the emotion from the behavior. And so I think when you studied personalities, you it was just validation of that. That emotion, oh, okay, I'm not the only one who feels things so emotionally. It still does not excuse inappropriate behavior. So I and think it so was just affirmation. In the midst of a... a Emotional expression, let's just say. I really like I that instead of that. tantrum. I like that. I love that. Emotional expression. I'm a teacher, right? At my, uh, for e -E, my firstborn's, e uh, I think, nine-month checkup, the doctor, he was playing with the doctor's pen and rustling the papers, and the doctor said, well, aren't you fun? And I was like, I'm a teacher. I know what you mean. <laughs> I know what you're saying here. Um, but in the midst of an emotional expression, um, how did you validate and then give her time to cool off before you came back and redirected? That's a great question. Um, it, it took me a while. So I probably was actually very terrible at it when she was little, um, like toddler years. Um, but uh, I learned that even though I couldn't understand and I wouldn't be upset in that same situation, I learned the critical element of validating her emotion and say, I understand you're upset, but that is not how we behave, or I understand that um, you're mad, but you will not raise your voice at me. So I had to draw a firm line at how she spoke to me. And because an SWB so desperately wants to express their thoughts, it's so critical to teach them how to do that appropriately. So for me to set, to validate first, took her down a notch, because what she really, she wanted to be understood. 
So that was so important right. to her. And so she would say, you know, I, I'm just, or I would say, it looks like you're mad. So I'm gonna encourage you, take a breath, take a break, watch your tone, watch your face. Um, that was, I said that all the time. And so we always did deep breaths. I go, I get it, take a breath. And then remember, before you start talking to me, I'm the mom. And I will listen as long as you speak with a respectful tone. I want to hear what you have to say, but I will not be able to if you choose to raise your voice at me. And so we had a real, we had a, just a signal in our house, you know, tone, because I, I, you're about to have an edge, I can tell. And so let's start over. You know, take a breath. Having more flashback. <laughs> take a breath, take a break, watch your tone, watch your face. We said tone a lot because she was not aware. She was just expressing it, but I knew eventually in her marriage, in her friendships, she would have to learn self-control. It, it is vital. And so that was my responsibility to teach her how to feel. You can feel anything, but how you express it is critical if you want people to understand you. So that, that and was... And that was, sorry, just talking about helping me to not have an edge in my tone. She would listen to me say so many words. I didn't deserve it. She would let me go on and on and on and on until the second I had an edge in my tone. So I was, I wish I, this is mind-blowing, like many, many words, many, many, many words. Um, I could, and I would always be heard. I had that privilege in our home of always being heard. Um, but that privilege would be taken away the second I had an edge in my tone. And so I was able to, again, I didn't necessarily deserve that, because um, I had just been wrong um, in these hypothetical situations. Um, but it made me feel understood um, when I would be allowed to say all those words. But then I, on the same token, that was gone if I had an edge in my tone. So I was able to, because I think it would have been a lot harder for me to understand authority if she had just said, we don't have to have this conversation. I'm the mom. Got to go by forever. Um, but because sometimes you have to do that to cool off, for both of us to cool off. Sometimes that did happen immediately. Yeah, and that's important to know too. Parents cannot parent effectively if your emotions are here too. You just can't. And that's okay. Just, you know, be aware of it and go, okay, I'm not going to talk about this right now. Come down. You can do that with a toddler. You can say, go to your room for a minute. And come down, and then you have that time to say, why am I here? Am I embarrassed? Am I fearful? Am I feeling guilt? Because I know that I need to be here to parent effectively. And I think because of that, I, because I was heard, if I had a respectful tone, I think I was better able to separate the learning of authority with tone rather than you know, like, I don't think I would have better understood authority if I hadn't felt understood and listened to while I was respectful. I wouldn't have been able to separate my disrespect from the fact that I wasn't being heard. Does that make sense? Am I saying sentences? Yeah, yeah. you are saying sentences. Thank Good. you, cool. Yeah. I just remembered one time <laughs> that I talked to you both in the same day, and you had talked to each other on the phone. <laughs> Julie said, she called just to emote. Just emote. She was just expressing emotions. 
And Emily's take on the same conversation was, do you know, my mom called just to say words. That's it. There was no purpose just to say words. And I thought, I think that's a beautiful, like, your personalities are so different, yet you've come to such a beautiful understanding of each other, you know? And you, neither of you took it personally. Again, I love that interpretation of it. I love so it. positive. Yeah, we just need to have you over. <laughs> well, there are, I know that there are other moms out there that are thinking, I don't get my kid. And I think this is such a great example for us. Um, that you can understand them. You don't have to be like them. To That's right. And, and part of our responsibility is to study them and learn them. Right. And, and to understand what makes them tick and how, you know, the, the love languages. How do you express love to them? How do they receive love? You may be thinking you're expressing love, and but it's not, they're not receiving it because um, it's not their love language. I think it's critical to understand, to study your children. Which we do laugh because as a strong-willed blessing, I basically have all the love languages. Yeah, Emily's five for five. All I'm real needy. Mm -hmm. All of them. <laughs> That's awesome. Except physical touch. It's the one I don't have. Don't touch me. <laughs> that's it. I'm so four that's for really five. four for five. Yes. <laughs> that's awesome. Um, I think it's also a warning to those of us. Uh, warning may be a, a strong word, but a caution to us that are similar to our kids that just because we get them doesn't mean that we need to allow their behavior to continue. That there's a difference between acceptable and I'm forgetting the other word. Well, we, th we, there are only two categories of behavior, acceptable and unacceptable. Understandable. But when, yes. we get, when we're like our children, and even though I wasn't like Emily, I understood Emily, right. so I tended to make excuses for her. I understood why she was behaving that way, and I would say to Mac, well, she's, you know, she didn't understand you. She thought you were going to say this, and you didn't, or she thought this, and, you know, she doesn't do change very well. And Mac goes interesting and irrelevant. There are two kinds of behavior. More flashbacks. Just. Yeah. <laughs> acceptable and unacceptable. And I do think when we understand our children, um, we are more likely to make excuses for them. And I just think as a mom, we are, you know, likely to make excuses. I, I think that that is a prayer for us to say, God, please help me see things objectively. Please help me see things as they really are. Because um, sometimes we just see it as we want it to be. And so it, it's very critical that we pray, God, help me see things as they really are so that I can address the truth. And that leads us right into my next question for you. Um, so thank you for that. Um, oh, that was on purpose. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, it can be said that common sense is really not that common. But I think that, and this, I know it's going to embarrass you, but I think you have a supernatural ability <laughs> to process things, even as you're going through them, through the lens of common sense. And so I'm curious about what aspects of your faith you attribute most to your common sense. Is there specific sections of the Bible you turn to? Is there a prayer that you, you say repeatedly? What... Um, so that's an interesting question. Um, I think that it is just kind of how I see the world. I think I see things logically. Um, there are natural consequences to behaviors. And um, I, I do pray a lot for common sense because, um, and I spend a lot of time in Proverbs. Every January, I read a proverb a day. Every, and then I'll go back to it, especially if I know I'm gonna have to make a decision. I'll read all of Proverbs. I, I just think it's the source of wisdom, discernment, and common sense. And it reminds us over and over again how critical common sense is. Um, I also use a lot of secular studies. I look at uh, medical studies and psychological and sociological studies to prove that scripture is 
the way to go, that pr to prove that it makes life better following God's way. I'll take sociological studies that are evidence that, hey, this really does work what God is saying. Um, and so I, I think that part of it is a drive. I have such a desire. I mean, I like y'all, um, but I love children. Uh, and my passion is to raise up a strong generation. And I think that when you latch onto a passion like that and you see things so logically, you know, there are just simple steps that we can do and we tend to complicate things. But I, I think Proverbs is definitely one. Um, and I think that looking from other perspectives, looking from the perspective of someone who doesn't read the Bible, then looking at, you, you tend to look at it as it's just common sense. Does that make sense? And so I do that a lot. I do pray um, God help me see things clearly so that I can explain things simply. And then I also pray God help me see things as they really are. Um, because I think that logic um, is what we lose when our emotions are here. That's why I think it's just so important to be self-aware. And that whole series we did on fear and shame um, if we will be more self-aware and understand what drives us to here, then we're more likely to be able to come down to here. So that's a good question. Yeah, I think, I don't know. I, I hope I answered it. Yeah. You did, thank you. There's no wrong answers. <laughs> um, so Emily, um, talk to us about what role did the local church play in your life growing up? Um, how did attending regularly, being involved in youth programs, and serving on Sundays positively influence you? And not, well, I'll let you answer that. And do you have any advice to moms about the role they play in helping their children develop their faith? I'm going to be good. I know, I just threw a lot at you there. No, it's good. Um. <laughs> yeah, th this one is very near and dear to her heart, so that's okay. <laughs> I'm emotional, but I don't cry a lot, so it throws me. I only cry when I'm like, and I don't cry when I'm sad. I cry when I'm like, eh. Okay, we're good. So, um, for me, the local church, first of all, again, going back to that explicit statement of nothing we do is for our benefit. Nothing we do is for, is because dad's a pastor, all of that. That was also explicitly stated about the local church. Um, Mom actually used to say, we'd probably be here longer. We, because we'd be volunteering instead of going to get lunch ready for dad. Like, that, which is, what? Who thinks that? Anyway, um, but for me, um, I don't know what it would be like without the local church. It's okay. I'm fine. Okay. So. <laughs> it's an emotional expression. It is. Love that. Um, so I, first of all, wouldn't have been able to do this at age three, four, five, probably until I was like 15, I wasn't like, and even then it was a little iffy, not really. I was fine showing up. Um, but I didn't always appreciate it. I was like, what are, I don't feel like it. What are we doing? Um, but it was what we did. Um, and I think, you know, we didn't not go if mom didn't feel like it. We did not go if we didn't feel like it. This was, um, this is what God tells us to do. So this is what we're gonna do and we're gonna go all in. Um, I think the example that, which again, she's a little invested, I understand, so there is a little bit, but it's still true for everyone because it's in the Bible. Um, we served, we were plugged in and engaged. We didn't just show up on Sundays, which again, I know we're a little more invested, but it's still true. Um, and so 
being engaged and being, you know, serving on Sundays when I was in, I think I started weekly serving when I was in middle school. I started serving in elementary school. Um, yeah. And so, you know, having those, I had a small group leader and I was a small group leader. And so having those bookends of generations um, is something that I will never um, be able to fully express how thankful I am because I was, I got so much um, from everyone from Ashley Horn and Haley and everyone. I'm fine. <laughs> um, <clears throat> and again, it was the relationships. It was, I never really came home and was like, Mom, this sermon just spoke to me. I wasn't in, I wasn't in here. This is great. Dad's great. Um, but, you know, from kids, I, I, was, I was never like, wow, I'm really thankful. I, you know, I heard those. That's not always necessarily what comes out of a Sunday morning. Um, but the community provided, again, we've talked about middle school is hard. High school is hard. Elementary school is hard. Um, being an adult is hard. Um, and having the local church is not going anywhere. And so as, you know, cliques come and go, friendships come and go, all of that can change. The local church is always going to be here. And so to be a kid connected to something that's constant, I talked about my parents were constant. I'm so appreciative that my parents have been a constant in my home. Um, but regardless of circumstances, the local church isn't going anywhere. And so to be connected to something so constant when everything else is changing so much, I, you know, just that I can't, I'll get emotional if I try to say more words, but um, that is probably the biggest thing that I um, ne didn't necessarily appreciate as I was going through one time I cut up my dress because I was like, mom can't take me to church if my dress looks like this. She did. She did. She was three. And no, she was two. She was two years old and I went to get her for church and she had been sitting in the corner of her room and she cut the bottom of her dress off and cut her socks up and it was time to go. So I said, get in the car. And she was like, <laughs> I said, time to go. And she showed me her dress. I said, I know, get in the car. Talk and, about opposing personalities. Uh -huh. oh, wow. And so she had to go to church like that. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't an option. But it's also an example of you caring more about the effects of your parenting than the appearance of your parenting. <laughs> it's true. And that goes back to, particularly if you have a, a I think boys are like this too, but a, a strong will blessing. And when we talk about giving them choices, I didn't give Emily choices like, do you want to go to church? I gave her choices like, do you want to wear this outfit or this one? And so I stated what I needed her to do. Those were not choices. Do you want to get in the car? Do you want to go? That was a get in the car. And, but then the choices we provided were surrounding that. Um, which shoes do you want to wear? And boy, Emily had her own sense of fashion at a very young age. And so she would tie yarn in her hair and it would be hanging down. Or um, black boots, tall black boots were really in when she was in kindergarten. Um, everyone had the kind from Target. <clears throat> and she, though, wanted to, everybody had to see them. And if you wore jeans over them, obviously. So she would wear her khaki capris. Uh -huh. It was a good look. 
It was a, it was a, she was rocking that own sense of fashion at a very young age. But those were the choices. It was not, do you want to go to school or are you ready to go to the bus stop? I mean, the bus stop is there. The choices were, you know, you get to pick what you want to wear as long as it's appropriate. And since we're on this topic, what about consequences when um, setting consequences that were logical, that were effect, well, effective at establishing authority, maybe not effective in changing the behavior, but that you could follow through with? Like, um, you wouldn't say like, uh, if you don't get in the car now, you're gonna have to stay with the neighbor when you haven't even talked to the neighbor. And if your kid calls your bluff on it, you can't do that. So Yeah, you really have to, if you have a strong will, prepare for that. Don't threaten anything that you cannot do. So you make sure it is a consequence that you can enforce, because they'll call your bluff. Um, I told you that about threatening to call security. I was like, okay, I gotta be willing to do it if I'm gonna say it. And I was at the point where I was about to call the whole security team. <laughs> um, but, uh, so I, I do, I think that's a great point to make. And you also said, which I think is so critical with strong will blessings, it's not about changing the behavior as much as it is establishing authority. Because there is no consequence that will make your strong will blessing go, oh, now I get it. Now I understand, now I want to do what you want me to do and not what I want to do. That's not gonna happen. It's just about establishing authority over and over again. So yeah, the perfect consequence, I don't know that I ever found the perfect consequence, but we did move from, um, we, uh, spanking was, um, it's, we started out thinking that, but I mean, we could have like ripped off a limb and thrown it out the window, you know, or, you know, ripped it off and whacked her with it. And she'd be like, okay, are we done here? You know, um, because really she does not cry. She only cries when she's mad or, you know, emotional about something like that. But yeah, there's no, she has a pain threshold of a rhino, I told her, you know, and, and so she would, yeah, when you were little, I mean, she would burn herself or fall or no tears only if she was mad. Um, and so finding that perfect consequence, it was more about establishing, it was just any consequence. Well, the, I, I learned that from you when I called you one day and said, Julie, I am fairly certain if I told my son that I was cutting off his leg, if he did that again, that he would think this fast, hmm, there's never been an NFL player to play with one leg. I bet I could be the first one and they'd make a movie about me, cut it off. And Julie yeah. said to me, you're not going to find a consequence. It's about establishing authority. That's probably the number one question for people with strong will blessings is what is the right consequence? I can't find the right consequence. What I'm doing is not changing the behavior. I go, uh, don't, don't toss it out just because it's not changing the behavior. You're establishing authority. But you have to remove emotion over and over. Rinse and repeat. Just keep at it. Just keep at it. And there will come an age when that logic will kick in. You know, it's, I'm still waiting. Yeah, it, it's later. It's later. You know, and it comes and goes. You but know. it's the, the right consequence is a consequence that doesn't stop happening. Like it has to keep Brilliant. happening. If I'm it goes, say that, wait, say I, that again. The, the right, right consequence, consequence is a consequence that doesn't stop happening. I, again, in my genius six-year-old brain, was like, I'm just gonna keep going. She's gonna give up, but. I, we were talking about this the other day. Again, my strong will didn't come out of thin air. She, she, it came from her and my dad. It was double whammy, bless him. But she had it in her too, even though it looks different. She had the strong will to beat my strong will because she was also smarter. And so she kept on, there was no, 
oh, but if I do it one more time, she'll give up and I'll be good. That, that wasn't, and it took years for me to figure that out, probably like 19, um, but she wasn't gonna stop. I never, I never beat her, honestly. Well, and that was what we said last week was uh, a strong will blessing is more relentless, more intense, more determined, and therefore the mom, the parents have to be more. We have to be more aware. We have to be, you know, just as relentless. We have to be more intense. We have to, you know, be in tune to that. And if she's going to do it, we just have to remove emotion. That, that's, that's the key there. And the hardest part. Mm-hmm. For sure. Um, okay, so I'm going to put you on the spot here a little bit. You're now on the empty nest side of parenting. So if you could, having experienced everything you've experienced, learning what you've learned, if you could go back and give yourself advice when you were a mom of toddlers in the thick of the parenting weeds, what advice would you give yourself? Ah, that's good. Okay, so toddlers, like that age, toddler preschool. That was when Um, it was most difficult for me, so. Well, I think that's when you initially go, oh, what's happening, you know? Um, So I think I would say, um, and I, I think it took me a long time. I'm a people pleaser, and I like for things to, I like for everybody to be having fun all the time, and I like for everybody to like everybody. Um, And so I would say, and I say it all the time, but I I think it's so critical, um, we have to care more about the effects of our parenting than the appearance of our parenting. Emily and Joseph's behavior is not a reflection on my effectiveness. Um, they're, cho- they're independent, they're, um, and so even as toddlers, their choices, that's theirs. I have to do my job no matter what. And so I, I think I would tell myself, it's okay. Everybody in Chick-fil-A is not looking at you even. You know, I mean, everybody in Target is not even, you feel like everyone's watching and everyone's judging and everyone's forming an opinion. And so I, I think, um, and that's how I felt. So with me, that would be the most critical, I think. And to, um, ah, and to enjoy it, to enjoy it. Which I feel like, I feel like we did. I feel like we, because like I said, I mean, we tell these stories of these tantrums and they were, they were real, but there were more good days than bad. So that's what I'd say. Well, we're about to wrap things up, so thank you again for being here, Emily. And I think it's important to say, you know, there nobody is perfect, and I especially don't want to put that pressure on you, but you are um, so close to being living at home, but yet so close to being independent that you offer such a great perspective for moms. Of And to hear what it was like for you from the child perspective, I think, is very valuable. Well, thank, thank you all for having me. Yeah. And so before we go... Is there any last thoughts that you have or anything that you want to leave moms with? Um, I think if I had to pick one thing, it's kind of um, become my obsession that I've been very appreciative of my parents. Um, Again, that separating um, feelings from actions and behaviors, um, and it's empowering. It is, again, I'm not trapped by my feelings. I'm not trapped by the circumstances that are dictating those feelings, I am capable um, of any behavior and any course of action, even if I feel this. Um, And so I think that would probably be the biggest, what I've seen most valuable as I do kind of start to attempt to be a grown up, um, that 
separation of feelings and behaviors slash actions um, has probably been the most helpful for me. And we're gonna talk more about that in, at the end of this series, talk a lot about self-control and the connection, the, the you know, vital need for self-control and the connection between self-control and future success and um, fulfillment. So we'll definitely talk about that. And how much that said from them, hey, Emily, you're capable. You're capable of behaving in a way where the bar is set here. You're capable of these courses of actions that will take you here. Um, I think that is just, I can't put a price tag on it, you know. Well, thank you, Em, and thank you, Julia. We appreciate it so much. And um, I would love to wrap up with prayer and pray for all you guys and all you moms online and um, all of your strong-willed blessings. Let's bow your heads. Bow our heads. God, we thank you so much for this day, and I thank you for all these fearless moms, the ones here and the ones watching and listening. Holy Spirit, we ask right now that you hover over these moms, that you give them the extra measure of peace and joy and strength and hope that they need. We are so grateful that we can come to you confidently knowing you've chosen us to be the moms for these children you've given us. It's not um, a surprise to you that we have the kids that we do, and we know, God, that you will fill in the gaps where we fall short. We um, ask for your presence in our homes and your blessings on our children, in Jesus' name. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. Thanks, guys.